You're listening to Profiles in France Formation, the podcast where we hear from inspiring people who have pursued their dream of moving to France. We learn about why they moved, how they overcame the challenges they faced, and what they love and hate about living in France. I hope that hearing their stories can help you to pursue your dreams and maybe your very own France Formation. I'm your host, Alison Grant-Luness, and I'm here to tell you, my guests followed their dreams and you can follow yours too. It starts today. Welcome to episode 45 of Profiles in Transformation. This is your host, Alison Grant-Luness, and this week I'm speaking with Patricia Brooks, who moved to France on a visitor's visa in 2018 to learn French and write her book, before she decided to stay and launch her business as a life coach. In this episode, we talk about the courage it takes to leave your home and your comfort zone behind, and to navigate the many new daily challenges of life in a foreign country and a different language. Welcome, Patricia. All right. Welcome. Thanks for joining me today. Thank you so much for having me, Allison. Can you start by telling me how did you get the idea to move to France and what were the first steps that you did to make that happen? Well, it was really the language was the draw for me. I had not had a love affair with France like many people I speak to have. But when I went to Canada, when I went to Quebec City, Canada, I tried to speak French there and I fell in love with the language. And so that was it. I knew I didn't want to move to Canada because of the weather, how cold it was. But I thought, well, France could work out. And I, I came in 2015 for the first time to see if it was someplace I could live. And I thought, I think I can. And so that was really the draw for me. And the second part of your question was, how did I make it happen? Well, I guess I got the dream in 2015 when I first came and I didn't do a whole lot. I did practice French from 2015 on to 2017. And that was about all I did because while I really wanted to do this thing, I didn't believe that it was possible. So I didn't, I didn't really take it seriously. But in 2017, end of 2016, after political things happened in the United States, I started to feel less and less comfortable as a black woman in the United States. And so I said, you, you've thought about doing this before. You just need to get some help to, to really move this forward. So I hired a coach in January of 2017, and she got me unstuck. It was really a matter of financial matter. I knew that I wanted to come on a visitor visa, but I didn't know how much that would require for me. And I was afraid to look because I thought if I looked then, and I didn't have enough, then that dream was over, which is not really logical, but that's how I was thinking. And my coach helped me get through that block. And then after that, my foot was on the gas and I cleared out my house and did what I needed to do to get here. I sometimes have people who get on calls with me and they think, you know, they're talking about applying for visitor visas and they'll be like, you know, well, I'm selling my house and after we pay off the mortgage that I'll have $125,000 in the bank, is that going to be enough? Mm -hmm. I'm like, that's like almost 10 times as much as you actually need. So, and that surprises a lot of people that it's not mm -hmm. that expensive. So what were you planning to do when you originally were moving here? What was your, did you have a long-term plan? Were you just kind of testing it out? What were you thinking about doing with your life at that point? What were you transitioning away from? Well, it was really a midlife crisis I was going through. And now I call my break sabbatical because I think a lot of people are doing that now. 
But I did not really have a long-term plan when I came to France in 2018. I knew that I wanted to become fluent in French and I knew I wanted to write my second book. So I, those were my main goals. I thought that I wanted to kind of test the waters as well. So those were my main goals. But once I was here for a couple of years and realized that I didn't want to go back to the States and that I really liked living here, that I had to figure out what my next move was. And I'd gone through coach training back in 2015, 2016, but hadn't really built up a practice. But I thought, well, that is something that I could pursue. And so I decided that that was what I would do. I would start a business here in France, coaching women who want to move abroad and have the confidence and courage to do so. And so that's what I did. I started that last year. And so when you're saying that your biggest block before deciding to move was sort of the uncertainty of, am I going to have enough money? Am I going to like be able to meet the requirements? What do you find that is the biggest block or the biggest challenge that people are facing when they start to wonder about whether or not they want to move abroad? I think definitely, how am I going to support myself financially abroad? Definitely, because people are looking for remote work. They're looking for a job that will sponsor their visa. They're some of the women I work with are retired, so that's not a concern. I mean, still the financial piece is a concern, but finding a job isn't. But I, I would say that that is one of the biggest things that I hear when I speak to women who are considering working with me. That, and then I think the second thing is really the unknown and the uncertainty, kind of leaving your old life behind and starting anew in a foreign country. Absolutely. I can... It can be difficult, scary to leave everything behind and not know what you're getting yourself into in a lot of cases. And I think that's true for most people, whether they realize that or not, even if they do have the confidence or courage on their own to do it. And once they're here, it sets in that, oh, this is pretty scary. Absolutely. Once they arrive, what is typically different than what they thought it was going to be before they left? Well, there are a couple of things. I have a woman who's in, she's in Germany now, and she went there on a visa where she could look for a job. And she was getting to the end of her time to find a job. And the, the challenge of actually finding a job in a six month period of time was difficult, but she managed to do that. And I think that the stress of that, the stress of looking for a job, not feeling, not trying to feel desperate, right? Because that comes through in interviews and staying calm the whole time. I think that that is a big challenge. Another woman just recently moved to Paris and she's got a, a daughter who's in school here. And I think that just the newness of everything, even though it's been a dream of hers for a while. So I think I, I would still go back to uncertainty and that, that freshness. Absolutely. I had muted myself. <laughs> while you were talking. I have unpredictable honking outside my window because oh. of the gas shortage. <laughs> um, so when you were coming here and you said you were sort of launched by or motivated by a lot of politics and stuff in the US, what what were you expecting or what were you hoping to find that would be different or that you were going towards when you were moving to France? And is what you found here, I don't know, what you were hoping to find in terms of politics and lifestyle and the general atmosphere that you live in now? Yes, I will say that the political environment was the thing that kind of pushed me 
to actually make the move. I think before I was feeling this undercurrent of that I didn't necessarily feel like there was anything holding me back in the United States. I'd lost both of my parents recently, and I thought this could be the thing that really changes my life. Oh, going to France and learning French. And so learning French was the key. What did I expect to get here, get from making the move was, I think it was a combination of learning the language, but also having experiences that would stretch me, would take me out of my comfort zone. Because one of the things that I enjoy doing is doing things that are hard. And some people will say, oh, I do that, it's so hard. But for me, once I accomplish something, it feels so good. And in the United States, I was doing things that were stretching me. The problem was that I would do something and then a month and a half or two months later, that newness or that excitement had worn off and I was looking for the next challenge. And so I thought that my move to France would allow me to have challenges that would probably go on for quite some time without my having to seek out the next one. And yes, I found it. <laughs> I'm still there. <laughs> <laughs> really? <laughs> I mean, it's true that it's a whole different set of challenges and of learning how to do things. And it's, it's completely different from what you would be like the mundane that you would be doing wherever you were in the US or if you're staying in your home country. Yes. And even now, I consider myself fluent and have for, I guess, the last two years. But even now, when I today I went to the train station office to buy some train tickets and the conversation went well. Right. And, but when I walked out of the office, I just felt so exhilarated, even still. So while their language is becoming less and less of a challenge, there are situations where it's still very challenging. It's still that excitement still lasts. And so I think that's different from being raised in a country and doing growing up and, and learning how to do things. They did, that's just normal. But for me to have that kind of conversation, that's not really normal for me. And so to have that, it feels, like I said, exhilarating. And I think no matter how long you've lived in another country, especially if it's the second language that you've learned by later in life, I mean, even starting in high school, it's, mm -hmm. you don't have the same level as growing up in the language. And I mean, I know even sometimes I will get into new situations where I'll think like, okay, I need to look up some vocabulary words for this particular situation so that I can, in the beginning, it was much more frequent. You would go to the bank and you would want to look up the vocabulary words for the bank and review your little vocabulary list and sort of, what am I going to try to say? before I go there. And and now like it happens a lot less often, but you still get into different situations where you have to learn about the vocabulary or the context of how to do the thing that you're gonna do. And it's just always, always something new and different. Absolutely. And I will say that now I will have a conversation like Yesterday, I was at the gas station and I pumped my gas and it had dripped. It was So I thought maybe there was a leak. And so when I went up to pay, I thought, well, do I even say anything or not? And I'm like, well, I don't want this to be a hazard. I do yeah. need to say something. And so I did. And at first I stumbled over my words and then I got him to understand. And then he asked me, well, did you hold down the pump, you know, strongly or not? And so it turned out that was my fault. But even something like that is something that 
feels good. Because it's really being able to navigate those new situations. Yeah, it's really having, interesting. And having the courage to, to speak up, right? Right. Well, it builds your confidence too. Like not only when you're able to have that conversation correctly or correctly being relative, like being able to communicate, which yeah, is being the- understood, yes. Right. <laughs> Whether or not you're using exactly the proper nuances of different words that you're going to come up with, that's a whole other conversation. But I mean, being able to have that communication and then initiating it and having the confidence and the courage to be able to like, I don't know, interaction. It's a big step for people to take. I think when they first they they get here and they, pretty much everybody that I talk to and everybody that I work with, like they want to meet French people. They want to make friends with French people. They want to have these meaningful conversations and relationships. And I mean, part of it is like, there's a language barrier sometimes where people don't really know how to make chit chat or they aren't comfortable. And there's a little bit of a of a block, right between being able to make that so then getting to the point where you're able to just like mention, oh, by the way, like, I'm not sure if the pump is leaking, just wanted to let you know, in another language, like that's a really, it seems like such a basic thing, but it's really not. It's not. And I liken it to, I think about as you're talking, I think about myself and I consider myself leaning toward being introverted, right? So up until I guess my late thirties or so, I really was hesitant to talk to anybody in a store just casually. But as I got more and more comfortable in my skin, having a conversation with somebody standing by a clothes rack or whatever, just started to become more normal for me, right? And so and it's just one of those things you go shopping and you just say a couple of sentences to somebody who's there and it just makes life more enjoyable. It's kind of like that with the French language where two and a half or three years ago, I probably would have said, I don't know what's wrong with the pump, but I'm just going to just let it go because it's just too much for me to, to deal with. Now it's like, I think about it, should I or shouldn't I, but then I go forward and do it. So it's kind of a coming out of my shell with the language. And it's interesting how that I don't know, blossoming or like that personal development can happen and and be reflected in the most mundane yes. things. Absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> so when you first got here, what were some of the other challenges, particularly administrative challenges and setting up challenges that you were facing? And how did you how did you navigate those? Well, so the first thing that pops into my mind when you say that was I rented an Airbnb for a year online and, and it was charming, but it had a horrible smell of sewer gas in it. <laughs> and the person who was taking care of the apartment for whatever reason could not smell it. I'm like, how could you not smell that? So I stayed there for about a week and a half. And so that was challenging to kind of figure out how do I get out of my my lease. Fortunately, my second landlord was a doctor and he told me, oh, you need to go see a, a doctor and get the certification saying that you've got these allergies or whatever and that you can't stay there and that will get you out of the lease. So, so I had to go to a different doctor because didn't want to have a conflict, but that worked. So that was, that was a challenge and it was not good because like I said, I was a week and a half, two weeks into my stay. So here I am thrown, like, where am I going to stay? Wound up costing me a little bit more than I wanted to because the lease for that second apartment was more, but in the end, it all worked out. I think another 
administrator challenge was setting up my bank account. So, yes. so renting an Airbnb, I don't have a gas bill. I don't have, I don't have the things that I need to do to set up. I don't have a justificative domicile, right? And so right. that was challenging, but again, my second landlord was very helpful in that. And, and he vouched for me, gave me his resident card and sent me over with all his, all his paperwork back and helping to back me up. So that was, that was helpful. I guess a year and a half in when I bought my car, the insurance agent told me how to, how I could have had a justificative domicile sooner and that was through renter's insurance which i believe is required and i didn't know well that's the kind of thing that you don't know but that's what we tell that's what we tell our clients well first we tell them airbnb is good for temporary stays but i'm not even sure a year-long airbnb is technically legal but then one of the things you want to do relatively quickly when you get a long-term place is renter's insurance and that'll that'll solve a lot of your problems in fact you can even go to the bank sign up for your insurance with the bank and then turn around and say, here's the renter's insurance that you just gave me as my justificative to domicile. Can you please open my bank account now? And they're I, like, sure. Right? right. <laughs> so those were, I think those were some of the challenges that I faced initially. And yeah. of course, there's still, there's still hurdles to jump through. There's the, the tax situation every year and renewing the visa, although I, I just renewed and now I've got for four years, so I can breathe easy for a little bit. Great, great. And what was when you first wanted to start your business and get that set up? What were some of the things that you needed to do in order to make that happen? Well, so I had to write a business plan that had three years of projected projected numbers. And I think that was I, that was the, the challenging part because I wanted to it to be realistic, but you don't know what you're going to do or not do. So that was one of the challenging parts. I did when I went to create my business, I did help have help with a business coach who kind of had a structure that I could use for my business plan. So that was really helpful. I needed to do that. I needed to make sure that my landlady now was okay with me having my business in her apartment. There was a form I needed to fill out. That first year, I showed that I could support myself with savings and that helped, I think, helped as well. So those were some of the things. And I did wind up going back to the United States to apply for that visa, the profession liberal visa. So all of that information was in English and it was easier, but then for my renewal, they wanted my business plan. And so I had to have it translated. I'm like, I, there's no way I'm sitting down and translating this. I, so I hired somebody to do that. It's interesting that you, did somebody tell you you had to go back? Because normally you can just switch your status here. Well, so there were two things. So the prefecture here in Perpignan said twice, cause I was a little bit insistent said, no, you have to go back to the States. And I think you, I think I posted in your group. I think you mm -hmm. said, oh, you could probably do it here, but it might be more expedient <laughs> just to go yeah. back to the States to do it. Well, that's the thing. Like if you're not here, like if you're, I think now they're getting a little bit more understanding about switching your status at the end of the first year. But for a long time, you had to renew your visitor visa complete the renewal process, get the physical plastic card in your hand, and then you can make an appointment to switch. So it would take a really long time to go through all of that. But it's, it's getting slightly better now. And like you said, the added advantage of being able to just do the documents in English when when you submit it to the consulate in the US. And it was, for me, it was pretty fast. It, you, I went 
I think it was less than a week I received uh, notice that they had completed the visa, so. It's pretty fast in most cases for, for that particular visa type, so. <laughs> <laughs> um, so what are some of the, what are some of the things that you've really enjoyed about besides these, these conversations and just sort of learning the language and, and getting to feel more at home, what are some of the things that you've really been enjoying about living in France? What do you really like about the life that you're creating here? I think that, so my first year was in Perpignan. So I think the thing that I really enjoy about living here and in this region, now I'm in a smaller village, not too far from Perpignan, is it just feels so good here. There, I've got, I, I can look out my window, I can see the Pyrenees Mountains, I can go 40 minutes by car and get to the Mediterranean Sea. And there's just something that, something that soothes my soul about here. Right. It just it just feels good to be here. So just walking around the village or taking a, a walk in the woods, just I just feel like this feels like home to me. So I mean I think that at a very basic level is important to me and why I why I love it here. Other things that I enjoy doing it, I recently started doing Qigong. This was something that I wanted to do right before COVID hit. And I was going to sign up for the for the class and then COVID hit. And then I thought, and this was a group that meets in the middle of the day. And they were just so friendly, so warm and welcoming. COVID hit and then I couldn't, I tried to reach them by email and nothing. So I went to, this year I went to, every year they have a forum for the associations and they were there and I was like, oh my gosh, I'm signing up. And I did and it's been two, three weeks now, and just a, just a warm bunch. So just meeting people and getting to know my neighbors, walking around the streets and just saying hi, and then having those casual conversations. It just, I don't know, it just feels good to me. I, I'm, I think I'm a very simple person when it comes to the pleasures in life. I mean, I, I think there's definitely something about that Mediterranean air that has... Air and sun, yes. <laughs> yeah, it's a, good, it's a good combination. And I mean, those there most towns will have some kind of association day like at the beginning of September one of the first couple weekends and I always recommend people go to just find out like what people in their town are doing try to find some activities because it's a great way to meet people in your community for sure so what are some of the things so you've got the qigong and then what are some of the other things that you like doing on a regular basis to sort of I don't know get involved and make friends and have you made some French friends since you've been here I have. So this isn't necessarily a friend maker. A couple of years ago, I took flute lessons here at the music school and I signed up again this year. But the people who are in the school are who are the students are typically children. So that's not really an avenue for me to make friends, but that is something else I do. Tonight, I'm going to go to a Buddhist temple to hear a talk on an introduction to Buddhism. So that will be interesting. I'm going to actually go with a friend who is French, who I met at a meditation center. So, I mean, I think there are there are definitely, I think there are definitely challenges to making friends when you move abroad, especially later in life. And if you have introvert tendencies, I think the thing that I recommend doing is to be intentional about what you want to experience and actually just putting yourself out there. I know there are, when I first arrived, I signed up for On Va Sortir to events with them. And I got introduced to laughter yoga and wound up taking a class to become a facilitator. So I met people that way. So I think it's a matter of being intentional and working through any fears that you might have so you can meet people and have the experiences you want to have. 
I mean, I think I, I can't speak for everybody, but I know like when I was first in France, I really struggled with loneliness for the first couple of years. And one of the things that's really hard too, is that when you're trying to make friends and join different things, it can be really hard because especially like in the expat groups or when you're making friends with other Americans or other people who are living in France who are from somewhere else, the easier people to sort of make friends and hang out with sometimes. But then people leave, people go home and it's hard to like continue make that effort and invest in creating those friendships when you're not sure how long it's going to last or if you even want to stay. Yes. And I think that that's true for the locals too. I feel like having mm -hmm. been in my village for close to four years now, that's a, that's a reason I can walk down the street or you walk by somebody's farm and they say, oh, you want some tomatoes here? Here's a bag of tomatoes because they've seen me year in, year out, and they don't necessarily fear getting close or knowing, getting to know somebody who's just going to leave. I will say in the beginning for me, I struggled with that loneliness too. And I wasn't necessarily that, I don't say selective about the people that I would hang out with or the people I would say they can be my friends because I was working to not be lonely. And now I recognize who I am and who the people who I want to be around. So I definitely, my friends, the type of friends I have now has changed and they are more in line with my values and who I am. Like in the beginning, it was kind of like, you go to my school, be my friend, or yeah. like you're a student in this program and you're here in Paris for a year, like let's be friends. But that doesn't necessarily, like they're not necessarily the people that you share values with and share ambitions um, and yeah. like common hobbies and things like that. So it can be hard to, you have, you have like a smaller pool of people to draw from in the beginning. But once you're here for a while and people get used to you being here for a while, then more doors open up. And I think it was, it's almost kind of like, well, beggars can't be choosers. So, you know. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, what you'll you'll talk to me. You'll talk to me for ten minutes and like give me my human interaction for the month. Like yeah. <laughs> I will say also what helped in the beginning in my first year, I did take a French class because mm -hmm. I'd studied French before my move here, but when I got here I recognized that I was far from fluent and that I would need to I felt like I was illiterate. I could speak and understand slow spoken French, but reading and you know, writing, I could do a little bit of it, but wasn't really that good at. So I did enroll and that helped and, and they were expats there. So and they also had activities, they mm. had bus trips to different places. But there, there's such a gap too between the French that you learn in a French class, whether it's outside of France or even in France, and then the actual French that you need to know in your day to day life to get around. There's a huge, a huge gap. Absolutely. <laughs> I mean, I always tell people like, like I came to France with a master's in French, so I could talk about like postmodernism or stuff and I like read Zola, but I couldn't like understand anything about what if my electricity stops working and I need to call the landlord to explain what the problem is. I don't know how to do that. Absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> and so that, I guess for you, that must've been a rude awakening. It's very weird too. I mean, you have more more tools when you get to that level. Like I said, you look up your little vocabulary list and you know how to structure sentences around to sort of explain what the thing is. But in a lot of cases too, I was 22 when I moved here. I'm adulting for the first time on my own. I don't know anything about cable contracts in English either or electricity <laughs> or electricity bills or cell phone contracts. Like I never did any of that stuff back in the States because
because I was a kid and I was at college and it was all taken care of. So there's the challenge that of just learning to do stuff as an adult generally. And then there's the added challenge of when you move here, like you said, like getting into those conversations about explaining and trying to navigate these different like life situations that require a whole nother level of vocabulary and I don't know, like confidence, <laughs> confidence for sure. So, I mean, I only did it once, but in just directly in French and then other people who move here who are perhaps slightly older than 22, like learn all this stuff first in English and then have to learn it all over again in French. But I think, I think you do make a good point because even though there are differences, you still have a basic understanding of what is supposed to happen. <laughs> Well, and now that I'm thinking about it, as I was just saying that, I thought, well, I wonder if it's easier to learn it directly in French, because now it's the only thing that I've ever known is I've only known how French health insurance works. I don't know anything about, I know theoretically, like in the US, there are things called deductibles and in-network providers and out-of-network whatevers. I would have to learn all that stuff if I went back to the US and had to get health insurance there. So there's something to be said for when you learn it directly in French, you don't have an expectation. Like you're not, I wasn't comparing health insurance in France to health insurance in the US because I didn't really have that experience. I wasn't comparing signing up for cable in the US to signing up for cable in France or any of that stuff. So, so, so your expectations, you didn't have the expectations that some of us have. Yeah. They're like, why are they doing it like that? It's Why is it taking so long? Why is nobody answering my calls? Why does it take three weeks to get an appointment with Orange to come and hook up my phone line so that I can get my internet box? That kind of stuff that I didn't have an opinion or an expectation one way or the other, but but other people, you know, yes, might. Yes. I will give you an example. I had my debit card here in France and I didn't know what the, the code was and I messed the code up and so they blocked my card. So I went into the bank and said, I forgot my code. Can you just reset it here? No, you have to, it'll be 10 days. You'll get a new card in the mail. <laughs> it's like 10 days in the US. I go in, they have a little machine. I put in a new code and I'm good. <laughs> so anyway, <laughs> don't yeah. forget your code. <laughs> I guess not. Well, I think I have apps now on my phone where you can reset it in the app. Oh, um, oh, that's good. So yeah. things are becoming slightly more advanced. But I mean, even things like not getting emails back from a note from notaries or lawyers and not knowing what the expectation should be for when do you chase something up? And when do you just kind of let the system do its thing? All of that stuff is you have to learn how to navigate. And I will say one of the things I think is interesting for me is in the beginning, all of those challenges or differences, they were inconvenient, they might have been annoying or frustrating. And I started to get used to them. And then maybe a year, year and a half ago, when I'm like, Oh, no, this is a really long term deal for me, I'm not planning to go anyplace else to any other country anytime soon. So the things that I find inconvenient, I need to just make peace with that because that's going to be my life, right? Yeah. I don't want to be irritated for the rest of my life. And that was kind of a shift for me. It's like, Patricia, are you ready for that? <laughs> that's a really good point. Like when there are some things that they, they keep coming up and you just realize like either I can be annoyed at this forever or, and, and I think we go through phases too. I don't know if you've, if you've felt that yourself, but like I go through phases where I'm like, this is just a quirky thing that is just like that in France. And I can just sort of relativize everything like that. And then I go through certain phases where I'm just like annoyed with everything. I'm like, why is everything so hard? I'll give you an example. We we did 
parent-teacher association elections this morning at my son's school, and I volunteered to be in the, the voting office. So here's so what we had to do is we had to assemble a list of the parents who want to be representatives. There's no like competing list or anything. Like there's just one list. So either like people vote for us or they don't. <laughs> it's not like there's no choice involved. And so we had to send home the envelope. They had to get a list. They had to get a blue envelope. They had to get a white envelope. We had to put it in a white envelope. And then they had to send it back to us. So they had to put the list in the blue envelope. They had to put the blue envelope in the white envelope. They had to sign the white envelope and like write their name on it so that we know who was sending back a vote. And then not make any mistakes with this because if they like wrote anything or circled anything or anything was ripped or whatever, it doesn't count. So we had to like, so we had to open the big envelopes and then there's a white, there's a small envelope with an even smaller envelope and like count all of this stuff. And I'm like, we're, we're chatting with the director of the school and another mom and we're chatting about this and I'm just like observing and and the director is annoyed at this too like she's French she's like this is completely pointless I have so much work to do and we're spending three hours taking papers out of envelopes and piling them up and counting them and you have to count at each step we had to count the number of votes that got sent back and then we had to count the number of votes where there wasn't a name and or it was messed up so those votes didn't count and then we had to open those in like the smaller envelope it had to be signed and if it wasn't signed in the right place then those ones didn't count and then then we had to put all the small blue envelopes in the urn that were counted and then we had to open up the urn take all the blue envelopes out take the papers out of the blue envelopes which were the smallest ones and make two piles like one of just the list and then one of if somebody circled if somebody was if something was circled or written or anything they had to not be counted and we had to count each paper at every step of the process and then put them in a box to archive and like she was super annoyed and I'm just like oh my god this is so fascinating like in a hilarious way that and I said at some point you know vous êtes les unis? like you are geniuses meaning the French for creating these type of bureaucratic processes even like that we have to do even when they're completely useless and she's like oh pourquoi vous dites vous et tout and I said well I'm not French I said this is I, I said this is not me like I am fascinated by this but like I so we had a little chat like explaining these election process but I mean I was in a good I was in a good mood so like, it's annoying but I think it's funny annoying at this point it sounds like I you can make a good scene in a movie <laughs> it absolutely could I I did a little Instagram just screen some some short video footage of like the, the different steps of the process but like it's fascinating but it's also like very very bureaucratic and it's like why are we doing this like it's not like we're not going to be elected it's not like there there's no there's no choice involved there's no like competing lists or competing candidates or whatever it's like in the u.s if you want to join the pta you join the pta and then like the pta members decide who's the who's the president or whatever like who cares <laughs> like why do we need to vote <laughs> why uh, yeah. do we like yeah. and it's such a waste of paper and then all of this paper has to go into a box and we can't even like reuse the envelopes that weren't signed or marked or anything it's like I, I, and i wonder why that is right well i mean it makes sense from a perspective about the certain elections it makes sense to have a paper trail and to require ballots to be counted properly like that i absolutely and i and i think respecting a similar procedure, no matter what the importance of the election, yeah, it's certainly yeah. there, there's a valid argument to be made there. 
that if you're going to have an election, you're going to follow the proper protocol, regardless of it's like electing, like even fifth graders electing delegate class delegates for something or it's the presidency. But man, those poor trees. (laughs) 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 I forget what I was going, but I mean, it's things like that, where it'll kind of depend on the mood I'm in, whether I find that like, oh my God, I can't believe that this is a thing to, you know, this is a thing, but it's kind of like amusing to me. And I think the thing that keeps me sane or keeps me from getting too annoyed is the fact that I signed up for this. And I mean, it's because you, I love France. I love living here. I love helping other people to live here. And it's like, it's kind of like being in a relationship where you're like, you love somebody, you you might tease them a little bit about their quirks, but they're part of why you love them, right? Exactly. (laughs) Yes. So, I mean, you're not going to stay with somebody if all of their quirks constantly annoy you, but it doesn't mean you can't get annoyed occasionally. But I mean, but it's interesting. I had somebody make a comment at one point a couple episodes ago of one of the reasons when she became French, she was like, she she applied for that French passport and she said, well, there's no separation. There's no like, you are like that and I am like this. It's like, you assume like that you become a part of that. And it's a really interesting, it was an interesting position to take. Yes, I understand that because I think when I first came to France, I, I like how the French will say, I come from a certain country. Instead of, instead of, you can say I'm American, right? But you can also say, je viens, je, je viens des Etats-Unis, right? And mm. that, that kind of gives you a little bit of distance. But as you say, if you're naturalized, you're kind of, you're stating that I'm a part of this <laughs> or otherwise, right? I translated something for somebody. I don't remember what it was. And the French person that I was translating for, I think it was, it was like in a cafe or something. And the, the French I, like barista or whatever said, like, you speak really good English. And I said, well, I'm American. He's like, like, I'm doing you a favor by translating <laughs> for this person for you. <laughs> if you're considering a move to France, you can download my free transformation readiness assessment to help you identify your objectives and see your vision for a future living in France and to introduce you to the actions you'll need to take and the things you'll need to learn before you're ready to make the leap. Whether you've been planning a move and researching for months, or whether you're just beginning to explore whether moving to France is right for you, the Transformation Readiness Assessment can help. Go to yourtransformation.com forward slash assessment and enter your email to download the free PDF and to receive tips and advice on making your transformation a reality. So are there any ways then that you feel like you've sort of become more French or like certain habits that you've taken on that are different from what you would have been like in the U.S., like things that have changed? I think so. It's funny that you asked me this question because I just aired a YouTube video yesterday and somebody commented on it, not sure why they thought that I was French, but they said, oh, you speak, you speak English really well and your accent is great for a French girl. <laughs> I'm like, what? What am I doing that gives you that impression that I'm French? But to answer your question, I would say I think my my taste buds have changed from liking that sweet, sweet milk chocolate to preferring dark chocolate. I think also, while it's been challenging, I feel like I've started to slow down a bit and enjoy life a little bit more. I think it definitely was challenging in the beginning, and sometimes I kind of feel that pull to, to, to rush, but I feel that kind of fading away as well. Other ways, I'm, I'm not really sure. 
I th I'm getting I'm getting ready to go back to the, the States in November. So ask me that after I come back and I'll tell you. <laughs> well, that was going to be the next part of my question was like, are there things that feel strange to you or different or that annoy you now when you go back to the States, like that you're not expecting? Well, I just think the the politeness people have here in France. I was sitting in the SNCF office waiting for my turn. And every time somebody came in, they said, bonjour. And anytime somebody left, they said, au revoir, right? I mean, it was just a thing that you do. And I guess the last time, well, not the very last time I was back, but when I went back to the States and it was, no, it was the last time I was in the States. So it was 2021. And so some, there was just a, it felt like there was a disrespect for people's rights to just wear a mask, whether or not it just didn't, it didn't feel as polite. I guess that's what I want to say. I mean, there's definitely a lot more, well, it's on the decline everywhere, the social cohesion, I think, but here there's a lot of stuff that people do like for solidarity and recognizing that they're part of a group and that that there are things that we do that like quote unquote infringe on our individual rights or could be framed that way but we do them because we live in a society and like mm -hmm. by definition like being part of a collective means that we have to sacrifice some things that we might want otherwise i will say when i'm back in in the states and i'm driving in the states i feel relieved because driving here on the narrow roads it just is and people tend to drive really fast here i think i think that's something that i do miss is the, the size of the roads <laughs> i mean i was really when we went back in the summer like i always drive my mom's car and she's got a camry which is not big still probably bigger than most cars here mm -hmm. but like you're driving next to like monster truck like to me they're monster trucks now like every single person is driving like a suburban or a minivan or like to me it looks like a school bus uh, <laughs> whereas everybody here like has a little peugeot and <laughs> or a fiat right <laughs> i mean suvs are becoming like slightly more common or like hybrid hybrid suvs and things like that but like but there are not... certain cars you can't get anything too big because you won't fit in a parking spot right we're down the road <laughs> So what are some of the things then that still annoy you? Or have you just decided to not be annoyed by anything? Well, I, the, I, the one thing that just is the, the personal space, like I'm standing yeah. in line, that is something that <laughs> I think till the end of my days will kind of ruffle my feathers. I just, and it's not, it's not anything that they're aware of. I move up in line, they move up in line and I move up in line so I can have space and they just, right. Yeah, they just are on your butt. And so that, I think that is the one thing that. And I feel like people started to get it during COVID, but that's all gone now. Any progress that was made in the maintaining personal space department has and, been and eroded. I think, and I think it, it showed in, in, with COVID, how, how we see personal different distance different in the United States, it was six feet. Right. And here it was three feet. Right. And so it's like, wait a minute, is COVID different here than there? And so they can travel, you know? And so I think that that idea is at one point I thought, is it because I'm picking up other people's energy that I, that, it, that bothers me, but I think it's just a, a cultural difference. I think it is too. <laughs> Um, so when people come to work with you for, for coaching, what, where are they typically in the process of deciding to move to abroad and what are the kinds of things that you work with them on to develop their plan? So typically they are, they can be anywhere from six months to, to two years out. 
on making their move abroad. They've decided, most of the women I work with have decided the country, but some have not. And how, the way that I work with them, and their biggest challenge when they come to see me is that they have had this dream for a long time and really haven't made progress on making it a reality. And so whether that's fear, whether that's they haven't been okay with looking at what it will take financially, whatever that thing is that's, that's holding them back, they come to me because they don't want to have regrets about not not doing this thing that feels so important to them. And so the way that I help them is my program is called the Carefree Expat Incubator Program. And it's a combination of an online curriculum and a an online live coach coaching and mentoring, group coaching and mentoring program. So the the curriculum helps them to understand why they want to do this, what is at the heart of the matter, so that it allows them to really bring that to the forefront of their mind. So as they're going through challenges to make this happen, they can remind themselves and that motivates them forward. It also helps them to identify who they need to become, what habits, what beliefs, what thought patterns they'll need to have in order to be successful, not only in making the move abroad, but staying here long-term. And then that third part is all about the planning and execution. So that's the online career. The live group coaching and mentoring calls are there to support all of that. I can answer questions about the curriculum if they're struggling to get through some of the, the lessons because as a lot of it, it is inner work. They can get on a call and we work through what they're locked on so they can get to the rest of the curriculum. But the other benefit of it is it's lifetime access. So that means that they, as they're planning their move abroad, they can attend the calls, they can go to the private Facebook group, they, but as they've made the move abroad and maybe they're experiencing some of the loneliness that we spoke about beforehand, they can get on a call and say, this was harder than I thought. Can you help me figure out some strategies to work through this? So they're not actually doing it all alone. And so that that's how it works. It's, and it's really been beneficial to the members in the program so far. So I'm really excited about it and can't wait to help so many more women. I mean, I think it's so important for people to have role models, like even, even even though like there's so much available now in terms of like free Facebook groups and people just answering like logistical questions or being able to find information on the internet. Like you, it's so easy to get overwhelmed and it's so easy to like get lost in everything and just having that container and having those examples of people who have done it successfully can be so helpful in proving to somebody who wants to do it that it really is possible and that you don't have to have any like special qualifications or like you don't have to have any particular anything in order to be able to do it you just have to figure it out yes and i will say that the member i spoke about who's in germany and who recently got a job that she posted in the private facebook group and that was something that somebody who is looking for a job abroad that really made her feel like it's possible. I can do yeah, this too. Absolutely. And I, I think like, I think that's probably the strongest motivating factor is like, if Patricia did it, then I can do it. If this person started a business in France, like why couldn't I start a bit coaching business in France? And there's really, I mean, there's room for everybody. Like you do have to do the paperwork, but it's, and the visa process is no joke, but it's absolutely doable if it's what you really want. It is. And I, I think that that's the key, right? To 
because it's it's the paperwork, it's getting the visa, and then it's following through and, and having the successes in order to, to maintain. So it's really, and that goes back to that, that second part of my program about, well, who do you need to become, right? If you're going to be an entrepreneur in France, what, what are the habits that you need to have? What are the <laughs> what do you need? What does that really mean? And yeah. how do you how do you develop those so that you can have the success that you need? And what are the qualities? So can you tell like when you start talking to somebody, because I can sometimes tell, like, who is going to, you know, go through with it and who maybe isn't ready to start the process yet? Well, I think the the key determining factor that I found is people who are decided on the country and that is really important because they've started to have a really more specific vision versus I want to move abroad. It's harder to really believe that it can happen. But once you said, no, I'm moving to France or no, I'm moving to Portugal, that that decision is so important. And so when I speak to potential members in the program, I ask that, have you are simply considering this? Or have you decided that moving abroad is right for you and why? Because if they're, if they haven't made the decision, they haven't committed to what it will take to, to make it happen. And I tell people too, like one of the things is when you, like after you choose the country, like then narrow it down to the city. Like, do you want to be in the city? Do you want to be in a village? Do you want to be like on the Mediterranean? Do you want to be, I don't know, on a farm, whatever. The more, the, the more specific you can get in creating or in envisioning those details of your life, the, the faster you're going to be able to make it happen. Yeah. Uh, and the more likely it is to stick. Yes, yes. And I think the other thing, something that you mentioned in this interview was, well, what was I running toward, right? I think that people who are not necessarily running away from something, maybe they don't like the situation in their current country, but that's not the primary motiv motivating factor. That there's something else that is that they're running toward that is a motivating factor. I think that is huge because it's less about, I don't want to say less about place, it's less about the place making somebody happy versus what they know, the things that they know they can do or be or have in this new place versus, well, this is bad. So I just gotta, I gotta escape. Absolutely. Absolutely. And I think that comes to, back to, to what we were saying about the difficulties of making friends or finding sort of creating your place when you're here or when you first arrive is if you're running from something, but you don't yet know what you want to create, then it's really hard to find those people that you vibe with and the activities that you want to do and to go out and, and create that life. Whereas if you, what you want to be creating for yourself and where you want to be and what you're going to have to do to get there, that's where the magic happens. And that's where you build that, that confidence and that, and, and like gain the ability to navigate those situations that are going to get you to where you want to go. Absolutely. I absolutely agree with that. It, it feels like if they're not sure what they're going toward, then they might move to another country, another place, and just recreate the situation that they have just in a different country. Absolutely. So what advice would you have for somebody who might be thinking about moving abroad generally or moving to France specifically? I think in general, it's understanding the deeper why. And I mean, that's the foundation. That's the first lesson in my program. And it's not 
necessarily the, the deeper why is is tied to core values, right? So somebody can say, I want to I want to be in a place where with a slower pace of life. That's a reason, but the why is deeper. It's like, and so why is that important to you? You know, so if you've got a reason, ask yourself the thought that that why is that important to me and drill down until you can hit on what core value that hits for you. And then once you've got that, make sure that that's something that you don't lose sight of. Because I feel like when people lose sight of that why, they may tend to give up or when things get hard, it feels even harder. One last question. That was going to be my last question, but I just thought of another one that I'm curious <laughs> about. So often when I have these conversations with people or when I talk to people who are my clients who are specifically moving to France, there's a very common theme that comes up about people, Americans, who have just romanticized and been in love with the idea of Paris and been in love with the idea of France, like ever since they were children. Like that's my case. I interviewed a woman earlier this morning where she, similar situation from the age of seven, just absolutely adored the idea of Paris. And I'm wondering if that if there are other countries that we kind of romanticize in the same way, and what you think the role of that if, if we romanticize if we idealize different places, and what what role that might play in how much somebody wants to move abroad and how successful they may or may not be in mm. making that move. That's a good question. So definitely, I know what you mean when people who have had this dream since the age of seven, and that's a driving factor. I think there are other countries. I think Italy is another one that kind of comes to mind for me. I don't know necessarily know that I have an answer for the success, the, the success rate or how successful people are once they have realized this lifelong dream in in staying and staying and and actually having the kind of experience they expect. That's an inter interesting question. I I think I need to kind of do some research on that. <laughs> well, I would be curious because I I mainly work with people from France. I I would agree with you on the Italy thing, but it would be interesting interested to know if there are other countries that people have a similar ideal about. I know, for example, like there's been some articles in the newspapers about like Japanese tourists in particular, or some Asian tourists that have, what do they call it? They call it like Paris syndrome or something where basically like Japanese tourists will come to Paris and like be shocked, like, or like be actually get depressed that it isn't like magical and perfect and like a fairy tale land that they might have imagined and that actually like it's a real city and like people can bump into you on the metro and sometimes it smells like pee and there's trash and there's uh, dog poop and whatever <laughs> like uh, <laughs> <laughs> so I don't know if like I've never heard of like American tourists like well it hasn't been pathologized to the level of syndrome in the same way that that it has been for some other groups so I'm I'm just I was just thinking about that and I think you know. I don't like like I said I don't know the answer to your question but I think one one caveat to anybody who's considering making a move abroad anywhere is to recognize that if you've been on vacation for a week or two weeks in a place, that's different from actually living there and having to do the day-to-day, -day. so. Absolutely. What would you recommend people visit or do if they're down in your area of France? Well, definitely Perpignan is a, is the city I started out in and there are lots of museums there. You need, you gotta go see the train station, which is a normal train station, but Salvador Dali called it the center of the world. So you, so you can say that you've been and there's actually a sign that says the center of the world, Centre du Monde. You have to do a photo op there. So definitely Perpignan. I think Serre 
is a charming village <laughs> where Picasso and other artists came to, to paint and to collaborate. So, and then of course, we're just across the border from Spain. So if you get a chance to get to go to Girona, I absolutely love Girona. And the Salvador Dali Museum is not too far. So those are some things you can do. Cool. Well, thank you so much for joining me. Thank you for having me. I really enjoyed this. That was fun. And I will be interested to know about <laughs> romantic, romantic, romanticism of other countries and cultures and things like that. I think that would be an interesting longitudinal topic to look at. Maybe I'll post it on Reddit and see what, <laughs> what I get. Good idea. All right. <laughs> let's do that. <laughs> All right. Cool. Thank you. Thank you. Thanks for listening to this episode of Profiles in Transformation with Allison Grant-Luness. If you liked this episode, please like, subscribe, and share on social media. I'll see you next time for a new episode. And in the meantime, I hope we've inspired you today to pursue your dreams, no matter how big or small. Remember, the way you bring your own dreams into reality is by believing in yourself and taking small steps towards your goal. Start today, start now, and à bientôt.